welcoming everyone. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be here to worship God together. If you have your Bible with you, will you take it out? I want to ask you to go into your New Testament this morning to the book of Galatians. Will you go to Galatians chapter 6? Our studies today will be coming from Galatians chapter 6. So you may want to go ahead and get a Bible marker and just place yourself right there. I want to read to you Galatians 6 and verse number 1. In Galatians 6, in verse number 1, Paul says to the people of God, he says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. I want to ask you to please pay close attention to the inspired words of the apostle in that verse. I want to submit to you that in this verse, the apostle Paul reveals a very frightening reality. He actually reveals a reality that we talked about in the sermon a few weeks ago, and that is the reality that Christians... Christians can fall away. Christians can leave Jesus. Christians can actually get caught up in their sins and give the devil a foothold in their lives. Contrary to those who advocate the doctrine of once saved, always saved suggests, that is the frightening reality that the Apostle Paul reveals here in Galatians 6 and verse number 1, in that revelation, that teaching, that proclamation is not just found here in this verse, but it's actually found all throughout the New Testament. It's actually found all throughout the book of Galatians. For example, look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 4. You go over to Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 4, and there the Apostle Paul says that when a Christian doesn't walk in the truth, when they don't walk in the gospel, when they try to seek to be justified by the Old Testament law of Moses, they put themselves in a position to be severed from Christ. Do you see that? Paul says that a Christian can be severed from Christ. The idea of being severed with, from Christ carries with it the idea of being cut off from Christ. It's the idea of falling away from Christ. It's the idea of falling away from the grace that a Christian received from Christ when they were baptized for the remission of their sins. Paul says that a Christian can be severed or cut off from Christ. And then notice what Paul said about the Apostle Peter in Galatians chapter 2. Go back to Galatians chapter 2 and let's start reading with verse 11. Here Paul talks about Cephas or the Apostle Peter as we commonly know him. He's talking about the occasion when Peter was working with the church in Antioch, a church that was made up of Jews and Gentiles. He says in Galatians 2 verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why did he stand condemned, Paul? Well, verse 12, for prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, 
with the result that even Barnabas, even the son of encouragement, was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Notice what Paul says here about an episode in the life of, of Peter. Here Paul says that there was a time when Peter, the great apostle Peter, he got caught up in his sins. He got caught up in his trespasses. He actually was involved in the sin of hypocrisy and promoting division between the Jewish and the Gentile Christians who made up the church at Antioch. Paul says there was a time when Peter was guilty of being two-faced with the Gentile Christians. In other words, when he was alone with them, when he was in private with them, he would be nice to them, be kind with them, eat with them, be in fellowship with them. But when the Jews came around, he was totally different. He had a different attitude. He had a different spirit. He would shun them. He would withdraw himself from them and treat them differently. Paul says that Peter was involved in some stuff in the church that did not promote peace and unity and love, and he called him out on that. He stood before the presence of many witnesses, and he condemned his actions. He condemned what he did publicly. He told him it was a sin, and he needed to stop it, or he was going to lose his soul. You see, Peter, even Peter, the great apostle Peter, fell risk to getting caught up in his sins and in his trespasses. And if Peter, someone who saw the risen Savior with his own eyes, fell risk to that, you better believe that we especially face risk of that today, right? You better believe that I face risk of that. And you face risk to that. In fact, how many times have we seen this reality play itself out today? How many times have we seen Christians today get caught up in their sins? How many times have we seen Christians get caught up in their trespasses? How many times have we seen Christians get so caught up in their trespasses that they start trying to justify them and eventually they just leave the Lord altogether? Eventually that they leave the Lord to pursue an immoral relationship. Or they leave the Lord to go back to denominationalism or, or some other false religious system. They, they leave the Lord because they got some sin in their life that they just love so much and they don't want to part with it. They don't want to give it up in order to give themselves over completely to God. How many times have we seen that kind of stuff take place in the church today? I don't know about you, but, but I've seen it too much. I've seen it way too much. I've seen it happen among God's people over and over again. And the question is, when we see that kind of stuff happen, when we see Christians get caught up in their sins, what are we to do? How are we to respond to that? I mean, what does God want us to do when we see a member of the spiritual family caught up in their trespasses? I mean, when a brother or sister is caught up in their trespasses, does God want us just to look the other way? 
Does God want us to ignore that? Does God want us to just mark their name off the roll sheet and you just move on? Does God want us to say, well, you know, that's their problem. That's got nothing to do with, with me or my family. They need to deal with that. That's none of my business. Is that the kind of stuff that God wants us to say? Of course not. Of course not. Of course. That's not what Paul is teaching in Galatians chapter 6. Going back to Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Notice how Paul says that when we become aware of a brother or sister in the church that's in sin... Instead of looking the other way and turning a blind eye to their situation, God expects us, God expects me, God expects you to do something. God expects us to launch out on a, on a rescue mission. God expects us to restore such a one and try to bring that person back to the family of God. That is the duty that we have to one another as people who are supposed to be spiritual. Look at Galatians 6 again. Galatians 6 and verse number 1, Paul says, Brethren, even if anyone, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Notice how the duty, the work, the responsibility we're talking about this morning is the responsibility of the spiritual person. The spiritual person has this duty. The spiritual person has the responsibility to restore such a one. The question is, who is that? Who, who is that person? Who is this spiritual person that Paul is talking about in this verse? Someone says, well, it's the elders. It's the bishops, it's the pastors, the six men who shepherd this local flock. Someone else says it's the preacher. It's the evangelist, it's the man who stands in the pulpit and he proclaims the word of God. Somebody else may even say, well, no, the spiritual person here is a reference to the older and seasoned disciples in the church. It's the people who've been Christians for 20, 30 or 40 years. That's who Paul is talking about. There are a lot of different answers we may want to throw out in regards to who the spiritual person is in this verse. But here is the truth about the matter. The truth is, brothers and sisters, the spiritual person that Paul is talking about in this verse is you. It is you. It's the person sitting next to you, in front of you, and behind you. It's every disciple. It is every person who's supposed to be a Christian. It is every person who is supposed to have given their lives to Jesus Christ and is supposed to be walking according to the teachings of the Holy Spirit. I want you to go in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, please. Keep your finger, keep your place at Galatians. We're going to come back there, I promise you. But look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and listen to what Peter says to the people of God, Christians, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. In 1 Peter 2 and verse number 5, Peter says to us, he says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To offer up what? 
spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Notice how Peter describes us as members of the Lord's body. As disciples, as Christians, Peter says that we are a spiritual house. We're not just a house. We're a spiritual house. We're not just a priesthood. We are a holy priesthood. We have been saved by Jesus to offer up not just sacrifices, but spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter's saying that we're all supposed to be spiritual people. You see that? Now go to Galatians. Go back to Galatians and look at chapter five. Look at the previous chapter, the chapter that precedes chapter six, Galatians five, verse six, verse six. Peter's oh, verse 16. I'm sorry. Verse 16. Peter says, but I say, walk by the what? Walk by the spirit and do not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh sets his desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit. You are not under law. That is, you're not under the Old Testament law of Moses. That's the big theme of the book of Galatians. We're not justified as Christians by the Old Testament law of Moses. Instead, we are led by the Spirit. We're led by the revelation of the Spirit given in the gospel. Verse 22, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and his passions and desires. Verse 25, if we are led, notice, led by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Would you agree? Would you agree that everything Paul talks about in this section of Scripture we just read is to be applied to every Christian? Would you agree that every Christian is to walk by the Spirit according to verse 16? And every Christian is to be led by the Spirit, according to verse 18. And every Christian is to be influenced by the fruit of the Spirit, according to verse 22. And is to live by the Spirit, according to verse 25. Would you agree that all of that is to be applied to every single Christian? Well, my friends, if you agree that every part of that is to be applied to every single Christian, then you know what else you've agreed to? You've also agreed that what Paul talks about in the first verse of the next chapter, that also is to be applied to every single Christian. Just like every single Christian is to walk by the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit and is to live by the Spirit, every Christian is also supposed to feel an urgency and an inclination to help brethren overtaken in sin come back to the Lord. Every Christian also is to restore such a one. Every Christian also is supposed to feel accountability towards brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a charge that's been given to me, and that's a charge that's also been given to you. That's a charge that's been given to every single one of us in the room this morning, and, and we got to take that charge very seriously. We got to keep that charge always in the forefront of our minds. We got to be mindful of that charge at all times, especially during times like we're living in right now. Times in which it can be easy for disciples to fall through the spiritual cracks and be forgotten. We got to understand that this charge that we've been given here, this duty Paul talks about shows us. That being part of a church family goes far beyond just having our names on a membership roll. 
Being part of a church family carries with it huge responsibilities. It carries accountability. It carries a need to understand that we are accountable to help one another go to heaven. And we have a right to be in each other's business when it comes to sin. You see, when a brother or sister's in sin, according to Paul, God doesn't want us just to look the other way. God doesn't want us to just sit back and do nothing. God doesn't want us to overlook their behavior and be afraid and timid and just wait on somebody else to, to step up and say something to them. No, Paul says that when a brother or sister is in sin and I notice that God wants me to step up and do something. God wants me to do what Paul did for Peter. He wants me to take notice of that. He wants me to muster up the courage to go to them and confront them about their sin. He wants me to have concern for their soul. He wants me to remember that sin is serious business and it is the devil who wants me to minimize it by just looking the other way. Paul says that this duty to restore such a one is a duty given to every disciple. Is given to every one of us because we're all supposed to be spiritual. As spiritual people, we have to all seek to restore those who get caught up in their trespasses. But as we seek to do that, a second thing Paul also says is we got to do it the right way. We got to do it with the right spirit. Paul says we got to do it with a spirit of what? A spirit of gentleness. Did you see that back in the verse? Galatians 6 and verse 2, and then, or 6, 6 and verse 1, I'm sorry. Galatians 6 and verse 1, what did Paul say? Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. I want you to pay close attention to that language Paul uses there. Notice how Paul says that as we seek to fulfill this duty, we got to do it in a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. Can we just be honest about it this morning? Having a spirit of gentleness, that's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy to be gentle. It's not always easy to be sensitive. It's not always easy to be delicate and thoughtful when talking with other people. I mean, just look around at our culture and, and notice how people are communicating with each other today. Notice how politicians talk to each other. Get on social media today for five minutes and notice how people talk to each other on that. If you don't believe me, go home and get on Facebook for just a little bit. Notice how some people are so opinionated. And they're so determined to prove how right they are and how smart they are when it comes to any and everything under the sun. that They don't care how they come across to other people. They don't care how they get that message across. They don't care about other people's feelings. They don't even care about their influence and how they're representing or are supposed to be representing the cause of Jesus Christ. People don't care how they come across when they communicate something that they feel they're right about today. All most folks seem to care about when they talk to people is they are right. They're right. You're wrong. They're smart. You're dumb. That's how most people seem to carry themselves today. The question is, 
Does that kind of attitude, that kind of thinking, that kind of spirit, does that line up with what Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 1? It certainly doesn't. It certainly doesn't. You see, when Paul says that we need to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, he's not saying we need to be cowards. He's not saying we need to be afraid. He's not saying we need to be timid and passive when it comes to calling out people's sins. Remember, Paul wasn't that way when he confronted Peter about his sin. Paul's not saying we need to be afraid and timid. When it comes to confronting people in sin, instead what he means is when we seek to do this, when we seek to restore such a one, we need to make sure we always examine our motives. We need to make sure that we always understand that our motive for restoring such a one is not just to make somebody feel bad. It's not to embarrass somebody. It's not to grind their faces in the mud or get them told or make them feel inferior to everybody else in the spiritual family. Instead, our motive for doing what Paul says in this verse should always be to help somebody. It should always be to bless somebody. It should always be to demonstrate love for somebody at the highest possible level. That should be the motive for doing what Paul says in this verse. When Paul says we need to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, he is telling us that it doesn't just matter what we say to somebody, but it also matters how we say it. It's not enough just to speak the truth. But we got to speak the truth in the right way. We got to speak the truth in love. We got to be kind. We got to be disciplined. We got to be tenderhearted and compassionate. We ultimately have to be like Jesus. Remember in Matthew chapter 11 in verse number 28, Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle. I'm gentle and humble in heart. I want you to put that what Paul says in 2 Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 24. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24. Paul says the Lord's bondservant. Are you, are you a bondservant of the Lord this morning? I hope you are. I certainly claim to be. We're bondservants of the Lord. We're slaves of the Lord, and the Lord's bondservant or the Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome. He's not argumentative. He or she's not always looking to start a fight and a fuss with somebody. They're not quarrelsome, but what? Kind to all. Able to teach. Patient even when wronged. Now look at verse 25 with what? Gentleness. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. There is your motive and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Notice I hear Paul is teaching the same thing he taught in Galatians chapter six. You see, it? it's the same thing. Paul is absolutely consistent on this point. Paul says that it doesn't matter who we're teaching. It doesn't matter who we're instructing. It doesn't matter who we're trying to restore or even what sin they may have committed. 
when we talk to people, when we instruct people from the word of God, we got to do it with the right spirit. We got to be gentle. We got to be careful. We got to be delicate in how we present the truth. We got to always remember the goal for what we're trying to accomplish. We got to remember the goal for what we're doing. It's not to win a debate. It's not to make someone feel dumb. It's not to embarrass someone or grind someone's face in the mud. Instead, the goal for this is to help somebody. It's to save somebody. It's to try to rescue somebody who is in grave spiritual danger. That's the motive for this. And we got to always remember that motive. When we forget the motive for this, you know what's going to happen? We're going to do a lot of damage. We may actually do more harm than good. We may actually do more harm to the cause of God. When the motive is right going into this, then naturally the spirit in which we present the truth is going to be right. Paul says we got to restore such a one, but we got to do it with the right spirit in a spirit of gentleness. But as we restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, Paul also says we need to be real careful. We need to be really, really careful. Go back to Galatians 6 and verse 1 one more time. There's one more part of this we got to look at. Galatians 6 and verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Notice the last part of the verse. Notice how Paul said is, is that if we, as we try to fulfill our duty to restore someone in a spirit of gentleness, we got to look to ourselves so that we too won't be tempted. What does Paul mean when he says that? What does Paul mean when he uses that language? Well, I'm going to confess to you that this language here has confused a lot, of, a lot of Bible students. And so I want to give you three possibilities, three possibilities that we may need to think about. First, some suggest that with this language, Paul is talking about us being careful not to be guilty of sin and how we approach somebody who is in sin. As we just pointed out in the previous point, some suggest that here Paul is saying that before going to somebody, we need to carefully examine our motives. We need to make sure that our motives are pure. We need to make sure that our motives are righteous. We need to make sure that we're going to the person in sin for the right reason. Now, many suggest that that is the most natural way to interpret this verse, but others interpret this verse to mean that when going to somebody who's in sin, we need to always remember that we too are sometimes tempted with sin. We need to remember that one day that the shoe may be on the other spiritual foot. One day we might be the one caught up in our trespasses. One day we might need somebody to come and, and restore and, and help bring us back to the Lord. None of us are above getting put in that situation. None of us are above being caught up in our trespasses. And if that day comes, if we are one day caught up in our trespasses, how do we want somebody to approach us? 
What kind of spirit would we want them to have? What motive would we want them to have when we want them to treat us like we want to be treated? Some commentators suggest that here Paul is saying that when trying to restore somebody, we need to always be mindful of the attitude we would want them to have if the shoe was on the other foot. But then a third, a third way that some folks interpret this verse, and it is the view that I personally hold, is many suggested here with this language, Paul is saying that we don't need to get sucked into a brother's sin when trying to bring them back to the Lord. And he suggests that Paul is saying that we shouldn't get drawn into a brother's sin. We shouldn't get pulled into a brother's sin. We shouldn't get pulled into immorality with them. We shouldn't get pulled into drugs with them. We shouldn't counsel someone about their marriage, but then find ourselves committing adultery with them. We shouldn't get pulled into drunkenness with them. We shouldn't get pulled into division with them. We shouldn't get pulled into false religion or gossip with them. We should always remember that when trying to restore someone to the Lord, God wants us to be very, very careful. He wants us to be very, very careful and aware of what's going on because the devil's always busy. Sin is enticing. Sin is deceiving. Sin is even appealing. And if we're not careful, the devil can draw us into the same sin that we're trying to help somebody overcome. Now, that's the admonition Paul gives us. In Galatians 6, in verse number 1, and we're going to keep studying from Galatians this morning, but for now, I just want to close by asking you this. Do you know somebody in this church right here and right now who falls into what we're talking about? Do you know somebody in this spiritual family, the Monta Vista spiritual family, who needs to be restored? Do you know somebody here who's caught up in their sins? Do you know somebody here who's caught up in their trespasses? If you do know someone who is caught up in their trespasses, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do to help your brother? What are you going to do to help your sister? Are you going to do what the Bible clearly tells you to do in this verse? Or are you going to try to restore your brother or sister before it's too late? Or will you just casually brush what God says here aside? Will you sweep all this under the rug, act as though sin is not really a big deal, wait for somebody else to do something about it, and risk a precious soul being lost forever? If there's somebody here this morning who's caught up in their trespasses, I want you to know that we here in this spiritual family, we, we want to help you. If you're willing to come forward and repent this morning and confess your sin, we'd be more than happy to pray with you and to pray for you, to encourage you, and help you get on the right spiritual track. That's what we're all about here at Monta Vista. And if there's someone here who needs to respond to that call, the call of repentance and restoration, Come to the front right now. Please let us help you. Let's stand. Let's sing together.